Welcome to ColtCast, a podcast devoted to some of the great things happening in the Comstock Public Schools. I'm Jason Hall, Communications Specialist for the School District, and I'm your host. The idea behind this podcast is to go a little more in-depth into a Comstock School's story that you may have already heard a little bit about, and then to give an opportunity for you to hear directly from the people involved. You've seen the sign or the flyer, but you didn't go to the event. You know that the team is playing today. You might even know that they're doing well this season, but you haven't been to the game. We want to take you to the game. We want to take you to the event. The school year is back in full swing after a very busy summer in our school district. We are settling into new routines in new locations. But life always does like to throw in a curveball to keep us on our toes. As we start off the school year, the curveball being thrown to us comes in the form of mosquitoes. A mosquito-borne illness, to be more specific. Eastern equine encephalitis has been showing up in horses, deer, and humans in our area. As a result, districts throughout the region have been altering outdoor evening plans. We're sharing details about schedule changes on our website and on social media, so keep checking in to stay up to date with any changes. Football game times have been moved ahead, and this is impacting our homecoming plans. A scheduled barbecue fundraiser for the Comstock Band of Blue has been scrapped, and now the planned homecoming parade has been canceled as well. Game time for the homecoming football game on October 4th is set for 5 p.m. A homecoming dance will take place on Friday evening after the game from 8 o'clock to 11 o'clock p.m. Another event that is changing its schedule is the alumni soccer game. The fifth annual alumni soccer game is now scheduled for Saturday, October 5th at 5 p.m. This is the fifth annual alumni soccer game, and it's a fundraiser for the Josh Whitfield Memorial Athletic Fund. Josh Whitfield was a Comstock graduate from the class of 2000. When he unexpectedly passed away in 2015, his friends and family decided to put a positive turn on their loss. I recently had a chance to speak with Eric Stewart and Mason Everett about their friend, the soccer game, and the work they're doing for the Comstock community in Josh's name. We had a very close group of friends, still do, and um, we got together early after his passing and we just needed something kind of to do with our grief and our pain uh, that was positive because Josh was such a positive guy. If you knew Josh, you knew that he was somebody who brought people together. He was somebody um, who loved everybody regardless of who they were, their circumstances, or what was going on in their life. Uh, He had a very kind of inclusive spirit. and uh, we knew we needed to do something to carry that forward. Um, and, you know, we all <laughs> were from Comstock. And Josh loved Comstock. He loved um, his friends and his family who were still living in Comstock. And uh, so we, I mean, Mason, you can add to this um, probably better than I can, but we, we knew it was, it was something we had to do um, in his name here in Comstock, and sports is a big part of Josh's life, and it's a big part of why we have the friendships uh, that we do. Uh, and so we thought, hey, what what better thing to do than to uh, support Comstock Athletics uh, the best way we can? So. Yeah, definitely. the The group that's kind of come together to form the board for this fund, 
Um, we've all met, whether it was through different classes, but what really brought us together were some of the different sporting uh, teams that we've played for, different organizations. Um, Josh grew up across the street from the high school, and mm. a lot of what we would do is we'd ride our bikes over to Josh's house, and we would then walk across the street and play soccer on the soccer field or you know, touch and tackle football or whatever it may be. And so it was a big part, you know, the athletic piece was a big part. So we were thinking of what we can do. And, and like you said, Eric is, uh, you know, trying to think of, you know, Josh loved kids. He loved his nieces and nephews. He loved, you know, everything about the family aspect. He was an assistant coach for the soccer, the women's soccer team for a while. Um, and, and kind of all of this really coming together and, you know, when, you know, after you lose someone close to you and you're looking at pictures and you're, you're really seeing the different things that they enjoyed. And we thought, you know, something like this would really help, you know, take his name and put a positive spin on what, you know, the, what was bringing us down and, and, you know, we can carry that name through to help out others. Yeah. So in 2015 or so, mm -hmm. the, the Josh Whitfield Memorial Athletic Foundation is established yeah. and it's established so that we can make a difference in some kids lives at the time right um we had a situation where at comstock schools um transportation was an issue yeah kids were paying to play as well um th those those fees have have gone away uh we've come up with some ways i think to to help alleviate fund um shortages uh for for transportation uh, but you've been a part of that right we're playing against you know these these teams that are 45 minutes or an hour mm. away and so for for people who are working or for people who who are financially challenged it's hard sometimes to be able to get to that event and, and get a kid home so that was one of your main it was uh, mm -hmm. main differences yeah. uh, difference makers that you were trying to tackle right from yeah. the start yeah um what we all know is that um, every kid deserves the chance to participate in what we were able to participate in when we were coming up here at Comstock. And um, it was a life changer for us, and it should be for every single person, regardless of their financial situation, um, uh, regardless of their parents' ability to travel to and from a district that's 45 minutes away to pick their student up, um, every kid deserves that opportunity. And we thought, uh, again, thinking of what Josh would think about that situation, uh, we thought we could make a difference in that area. And uh, so we, we set out on that, and I'll be honest with you, we set out with an initial goal to raise about 1500 bucks so we could, you know, pay for some kids. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't know, uh, like pay for a bus or pay for some kids to get, get um, not, have to read, not have to pay their pay-to-play fee. Uh, you know, now we're sitting here three-plus years later, and we've raised over $60,000, and we've been able to tackle a lot of different um, issues and barriers related to it. But yeah, it all started there and um, we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, we started small, um, you know, like Eric said, with a smaller goal. And um, what really was nice was the community getting involved. I mean, you know, people knew the, you know, not just Josh, but the Whitfield family and Comstock. And, you know, they knew of different friends and they remember coming to games and seeing different people participate and they they got behind what we were looking to do and help you know kids in the area and and one of the key pieces 
um, of this is, is the community support. We've received tons mm -hmm. of support from the community that we couldn't be where we are now without the Comstock community. And this has really helped bring a lot of people together. And, uh, you know, you'd mentioned the transportation piece, you know, early on, a lot of this, you know, we wanted to help and, you know, we, we had this drive and we didn't know where we could necessarily help. We knew, you know, the athletic piece and we, we just wanted to see what we can do. And, and I remember there's a handful of us that, you know, learned that there was, it was one way transportation. It was, you know, these far away games where kids were taking a bus to Dwajak and then you had to figure out your ride back. And, and it seemed silly for us who had been removed from high school for 15 years or so. And um, so that was, an, that was an easy one for us. And, right. and if we can help there, if we can help with other, you know, participation fees and things, and, and from there, just trying to get the word out. And, uh, and we've really grown from that. One of your main fundraisers has been a golf outing. Yeah, that that happens in June. Yeah, that as I look at it uh, over the last few years, you know, is plus or minus ten thousand bucks every oh, yeah. every time you do it. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, that's a, a great outpouring. Mm -hmm. um, and and then uh, you have the which which I like, friends of Josh uh -huh. back together, yeah. playing on the field and and raising some money and some awareness. Yeah, I would I would think. You know, I bring back the soccer game again, and it, and it brings back memories. You know, Eric and I sit up in the, the press box, and we kind of announce the game, and, and we're the, the PA guys up there. But before the game starts, it's, it's I don't know, it, 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 I'm feeling it now, but when you can see the Whitfield family, like, walking from the parking lot, and when they still lived across the street, you would yeah. see them leave the house, the whole family coming to the event. It just, you know, it takes you back to when we were 15 years old right. again. But uh, right. But yeah, you really see, and again, with the soccer event, you know, from the very beginning, the players, obviously, the alumni, the people that come back, we have people for our events to be a part of it that come back every year. We have people from Arizona, we have people from Atlanta, we have people from all different parts of the country that fly in just for this event. And then to see their families come in at the soccer game we have, you know, it's uh, we've done it a few different ways, but uh, all the kids in the audience, we have them, they can come out and kick feet, you know, like, shoot on the goals and we have different events there for kids and so we, we try to make it a huge family event because again that's that's what this is about it's about our community and it's about that family feel well it, it also has gotten a little bit bigger now uh, one of the things that that caught my eye this year uh, was seeing that the josh whitfield memorial athletic foundation had stepped in to say uh, we want to make sure that every kid in Comstock has some shoes. Mm -hmm. And so you've teamed up with the First Day Shoe Fund yeah. um, to help make sure that all those kids have got the sneakers that they need yeah. for gym class. Yeah. Um, how is that partnership incredible working out? Incredible partnership. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the First Day Shoe Fund is an incredible group of people doing incredible stuff for not only Comstock, but for... Uh, KPS, different districts around the region. The whole and, county. Yeah. If a kid doesn't have a pair of sneakers to wear to school, um, that's not okay by us. We, 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 we knew we could step in and help there. Um, kids need to be able to run around. Kids need to be kids. Kids need to, you know, um, they need to be able to go to recess. They need to be able to go to gym class. They need to be able just to walk in school with a pair of cool shoes on, um, a pair of relatively new shoes on, right? Because everything they buy is new. Um, 
And so this was a no doubter for us. I mean, yeah, right I think away. when you see, and even you know, you take yourself back to yeah. you know, you're getting ready for school and you're doing your mm-hmm. your school clothes shopping, and and if you were school shoe shopping, man, you were yeah. you were pumped for your your new sneakers or whatever it may be, and and you know, volunteering with the first day shoe fund now, and you know we're. We're able to support and it's and it's awesome but you can also feel it when you're there and you get to see the kids trying on shoes and the, the smiles on their faces mm-hmm. right away I mean you know those little moments you know make everything worth it and, and it's great to be able to be able to do that again this year you know we did it yeah. last year it was very successful we've talked to them again and we're gonna do it again this year if there's anything we can do to help I would just encourage folks to reach out to learn more about ways um, that you can connect with us, jwmaf.org. Go to jwmaf.org. Next, let's talk about the Comstock Early Learning Academy, or SELA. This is a new school in an old building. It's one of the big new changes in the Comstock School District this year. In the building formerly known as Green Meadow Elementary, a new idea is blossoming. The idea is to create a building that is devoted to early learning. Preschool-aged children are the focus of this school. I talked with Meadow Nyan, the director of SELA, to learn a little more about the school's offerings. Sure. So our daycare has started on September 3rd at 6 a.m. Our hours there are 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. And we have students arriving in the 6 a.m. hour. Um, They have received daycare. And then we've also had preschool programs that started on September 16th. The hours of those are from 9 a.m. until 3.30 p.m. What new things did we need for a daycare room that we didn't need before in the Comstock School District. Sure, yeah. We have cribs, infant cribs. We have high chairs, bouncers, all kinds of toys and manipulatives that we didn't have before because it wasn't needed for elementary school. The items and rules and regulations needed for having child care in the school district are very different. And we have new staff members there as well. We are looking to grow our staff um, and that is going to be required to maintain our state licensing ratios for student to staff um, amounts of students we have to have. And this is a good thing. I mean, ultimately, we want to be able to have uh, not 40 kids and one adult. That's chaos. Nobody wins there. Um, but but we've got a, a low kid to adult ratio. And hopefully this is making it, uh, again, when I think of, I don't know, babysitting, um, you know, you, you've got uh, uh, that, that stereotypical teenager who's, you know, talking on the phone or watching TV and not paying attention to kids. That's not what we have going on here. We've got people who are uh, teachers, uh, you know, I mean, even if they're watching an, a, a young kid, they're still kind of, there's an educational component to all of that. 
There absolutely is. Those teachers, as young as our six-week-old students, follow a schedule and a routine. There is a curriculum that is implemented in all the classrooms in the entire building at SELA. We follow the creative curriculum from birth, which is six weeks, all the way up until age 12 or about fifth grade because we have a few students there for after-school care who are bused over from the STEM Academy or the Comstock Elementary School. So a uh, part of that curriculum... Uh, I'm guessing that we're just we're reading books. There is definitely a literacy component. There is an alphabet knowledge, phonological awareness, reading comprehension, and then the ability to listen and have feedback from an adult in literacy and books is definitely part of it. And it's what makes it so fun. And the, the fact that we're connected with the school district just makes it even better and more appealing to families that want to come and check us out. Uh, now, we've got a couple of interesting programs that are part of SELA. We've, we've got a STEM preschool classroom. Um, the district has done well, I think, with the STEM Academy, and people are beginning to be aware of the fact that, that our kids need to be educated in science, technology, engineering, and math. How does a four-year-old grapple with that engineer what kinds of engineering and science things are we doing with kids uh at at that kind of an age i imagine we're not building skyscrapers but but where what kinds of sciencey engineering things are we doing with kids that age sure so the students that are in the stem pre-k class at sila are still engaged in the creative curriculum. It has a STEM twist on it where they work with projects and do a project-based learning. And this has started from the first day where students were um, engineering and putting together magnetic blocks in order to create almost like a mini skyscraper. So when you talk about them building yeah. a skyscraper, yeah, they're, doing, they're doing a model or a version of it at three and four years old. And then the other unique thing that we have going on here at SELA is uh, Chinese culture and, and language component. What is the Chinese component? Sure, yeah. Like? So our, our Chinese teacher is here. She has been a great addition to the staff and has fit right in. Um, she currently is on a schedule where she rotates 30 minutes at a time through each classroom. So she works at our building in the mornings from about 8.45 until 12.45. And what she does is she's on a schedule where she goes and she assists in the classrooms and uses her, her native language and she will deliver the creative curriculum in both English and standard Mandarin Chinese. So that's fun. Uh, if people are interested in being a part of this, um, what do they need to, to do to find out more? Yeah, they could definitely visit our website. They could call us on the phone or they could email as well. Terrific. Uh, thanks for talking, and we look forward to having more conversations about the things that are happening at SELA throughout the year. Yes, we would love that. Thank you. Finally, let's talk about an upcoming countywide millage that will be on the ballot for all Kalamazoo County voters on November 5th. Voters will be asked to help fund a countywide career technical education center. I spoke with David Campbell, 
the superintendent of the Kalamazoo Regional Educational Service Agency, or KRESA, about the proposed Technical Education Center. Has the county tried to do this before? Yes, there was a millage vote back in the 60s, and it went down. Uh, I've talked to some of the people who were in leadership back in the 60s, uh, and they said that when the, the voters approved Kalamazoo Valley Community College to create that in the mid-60s, they felt that KVCC should take the lead on career and technical education. The difficulty with that is a community college is really geared towards 18, 19, 20, 21 and up students and career and technical education in the high school level is really aimed at your sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So it's a, it's a different age student. KVCC wasn't uh, built with the capacity to serve a, you know, a couple of thousand high school students as well. Uh, it was also, there was a millage on the ballot in the mid-2000s and it, uh, it narrowly failed. Uh, so it's been, it has been tried before. Um, as the economy has changed so substantially here this past 10 years with the global economy and automation and, and uh, all the, the, the demographic shifts, uh, what, what our employers are saying, I've been hearing it for years, I've been here seven years now, the employers just say, we've got to have more. We've got to have more young people going into the skilled trades, more young people going into health occupations, more young people going into uh, information technology, areas where they're talking with that demand a skill certificate or associate's degree. So what they're saying is a diploma is not enough. And yet for a lot of the job openings, a bachelor's degree is just not needed. So the stat that we've looked at in our research that's so interesting is 127. For every one job that demands a master's or PhD, there's two that demand a bachelor's degree. And then there's seven good paying jobs that really are demanding a skill certificate or associate's degree in a marketable area. That's the sweet spot. That's what's changed so much in the last several decades is that demand for a higher set of skills that oftentimes are developed in career and technical education programs. And we have fairly comparatively very few kids in our career tech programs in this county when you compare us to other counties. And so the, the business community has, has asked us, uh, students, uh, and there, there, there's a, a growing interest in this realm. And, um, and, and so uh, we've been studying it the last two years, uh, started as uh, superintendents. We looked at our data, we compared, we looked at our comparative data uh, with, with other counties. We saw that we really didn't uh, match up well in this realm. And uh, I, I surveyed the community back in 2015 uh, through a, a, a professional phone survey. I asked uh, the question of the community, are you satisfied with the uh, quality of programming to prepare your students for college? It was fairly high. The answer was in the 70% range. And then uh, when asked, are, are you satisfied with how we're preparing students for work? The answer was much lower at 48%. So that's what's helped get the conversation started. Um, business saying we need more, um, and our data, comparative data saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're not comparing well. So we, we had a committee of superintendents and principals and other administrators study the topic deeply for six months back in 2018, just to build our knowledge base on, on, on what this economy is and what it's going to look like here this next 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, that was a very powerful uh, set of learning, and then we, we uh, took that and we said, boy, we've got to branch out. We don't, we don't know enough on this. We're talking about businesses. We're talking about the community college. We should have business and community college and community leaders in the room. 
And so from January to March of this year, we had three design teams uh, looking deeply at career and technical education and developing recommendations on how we can uh, interest more students to go into this realm. Starts with career readiness and exploration, helping kids younger, younger levels, elementary, middle school, helping kids see what they can be when they grow up. Many kids, particularly if they're raised in poverty, whether it's urban or rural poverty, doesn't really matter, but uh, they, they, uh, um, they, they can't see what they can be. They can't necessarily see the opportunities. And uh, it, it, uh, it takes intentional instruction. And if families aren't doing it, somebody's got to do it. It's their school's responsibility to do it. We know we need to do it a lot better. Um, and then we looked at our high school programming. We've got a decentralized model now where the programs are located in high schools and other community-based organizations around the county. What we found is the, the distribution of students is highly inequitable. Uh, and we want to uh, create a career center that, to create that equitable access uh, for, for all students, eliminate the transportation barrier. We did focus uh, groups in almost every high school in the county, and the kids were loud and clear that the bus ride, the, the double uh, route bus system that a decentralized model requires because it's decentralized. So if a student lives in Comstock and they want to be in the manufacturing program in Vicksburg, they can either drive to Vicksburg or they can get on the bus in Comstock and then drive to Loy Norix. Why Loy Norix? Because that's where the bus hub is. And they get off the bus in Loy Norix and get on the bus that's going to Vicksburg. That doubles the amount of time. When students are filling out their schedules, what classes do we want to take? They're citing that the, the long transportation is one of the main reasons they're not taking the classes that could lead to um, you know, skill certificate, associate's degrees in very marketable areas. And so we're trying to eliminate barriers by providing transportation and most importantly, a career center so it's a direct route from Comstock to a centrally located career center. Um, and that, that's a, a very important priority of this initiative. And then capping it off with uh, internships and work studies, co-op opportunities. We want a, a centrally located career center so we're near employers because that's where the work studies and the co-op experiences are. And, uh, and so we're, we're excited about that opportunity that young people will have. Uh, we have kids on co-op and work study now, but, but it's only about 75 kids and out of 2,500 seniors, that's not good enough. And so we're looking at a fundamental redesign to help younger kids see what they can be and then develop their skills uh, in, in, a, in a career center uh, as, as they're in high school and then finish it off uh, with, uh, with a, a good work, uh, work experience uh, and then hopefully funneling them into Kalamazoo Valley Community College to finish their associate's degree. This, obviously, we're creating this from the ground up. Uh, has not been done before in this county, but it has been done elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, as we contemplate a new career technical education center, um, are there certain industries or certain career paths uh, that we see as being a priority to this area? If we build this new thing, this has to be a part of it. Um, what, are, what are some of those, um, some of those, I don't know, tracks or job tracks that we see as being, uh, uh, would definitely be included in this and, and others we'd like to? Or? Sure, great question. Uh, that was uh, Southwest Michigan first, uh, Jill Bland uh, uh, was on all three of our design teams and provided a lot of really good input along with many other business leaders from various 
uh, sectors. So the, the ones that where the, the job demand is the highest is Bronson has 500 job openings right now. Healthcare. Healthcare. Okay. And that's not going away. As the boomers age, more and more healthcare is going to be required. And the average age of a nurse is in the upper 40s, lower 50s. You start doing the math on these things, we've got to be funneling uh, many, many more kids in, into healthcare. Manufacturing is the same thing. Uh, the, the state in there, uh, back in 06, uh, decided to change the, the graduation requirements because they thought manufacturing was going to die. They thought that skilled trades were going to die back in 06. And well, that we're, made, we're living in the information age, right? That, and, that's right. We're living in the information age, and jobs were leaving. We had 700,000 people leave the state of Michigan from 02 to 12. So it may have made sense then, but what actually occurred was manufacturing is making a roaring comeback. There was some, you know, there a lot of wage compression. There had to be renegotiated contracts. But what has emerged is manufacturing is a force and it is growing and there are good jobs available that pay well in manufacturing um, and and uh, and many kids uh, would enjoy that uh, but they've many have heard from their families uh, maybe even grandparents well don't go into manufacturing because you may just get laid off and 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 yes that's always the case with any type job we may get laid off but manufacturing is, a, is another growth area uh, and is and out into the foreseeable future. Yes, there's been a lot of automation, but not all jobs are being automated. It just takes a higher set of skills um, to uh, to be successful there. Information technology, obviously, is is red hot, and uh, and the skilled trades. Uh, you talk to any of the construction managers, architects, uh, they they cannot find enough electricians and carpenters, and that the whole realm of the skilled trades is is red hot. We have about 20 or so students in our home construction program. We're, we're proud of that, but it, it used to be about 100, right. and we need a far more. What happened? I would argue the Great Recession, when 700,000 people left the state, that's what happened. A lot of them, uh, the, the children now who have moved to Tennessee or Florida or wherever they moved to, they're probably in the skilled trades program down there. And so we've got to take um, you know, kids that, that maybe were on a path or a set of expectations from their families to, to do something different and try to steer them into these very marketable areas that pay reasonably well. Uh, so that's a, that gives you four uh, real hot areas. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that's what we'd be limited to. I mean, a good career tech center has a good 15 to 20 different programs. If this is approved, we're going to raise how much money on an annual basis? Um, and is that enough to build a building? Sure. Great question. So it's $8.3 million a year is what's generated by one mill. Uh, for over 20 years, and the cost and, and the cost to our you know average homeowner is uh, average homeowner would be about six dollars and twenty five cents a month. That's based on a hundred and fifty thousand dollar house. Okay. So where the money would go, this is primarily an operational millage, meaning it's going to be hiring people to teach kids, to counsel kids, to help young people see what they can be uh, at scale for 35,000 kids in the county. So we've got a lot of good career readiness kinds of activities that help kids see what they can be as they age, but they're really not at scale. And so uh, it is primarily an operational village to, to hire people to, again, supervise those work-study experiences because they have to be supervised. It's also to uh, uh, eliminate the transportation barrier, so it's a, a more efficient transportation system. And yes, a career center. Um, we, could buy, we could buy a used building and renovate it uh, with, uh, with a portion of the millage. 
uh, and, and but uh, we're also working on a public-private partnership with the business community and uh, and depending on how that goes then maybe we wouldn't need to use a portion of the of the millage to, to do it. But either way, we're going to have a career center. I don't know if it's going to be new or a used building renovated, but I know that the design teams were just adamant that it needs to be located in the in the central part of the county, kind of that Portage Sprinkle Road area where there's just so many employers that we can uh, uh, work with to, to help um, students with those co-ops and work-study experiences. And you say the central part of the area and coming from Comstock, I look at the map and say, we're right there. Um, you know, whether, yeah. whether it's in Comstock proper, uh, this is something that for Comstock people, it would seem to me if, if the center is located anywhere in the center area of K-Risa. It's sure going to be close. Comstock folks are going to be pretty darn close to this. Sure would. So it so it would would help again as you talk about students um, maybe being a little bit apathetic about you know participating in some of these programs. Hopefully that would encourage more uh, more students to be a I part sure of these. I sure hope so. Sure sounds a lot more convenient than getting on a bus and going to Loy Norix and then getting on another bus and going to Vicksburg yeah. if they want to go into manufacturing. And a lot of those kids end up with uh, internships at Stryker and they, they or or at Pfizer. They've got some great opportunities. And uh, unfortunately, we haven't had the higher participation from any of the high schools other than Vicksburg High School. Yeah. Now, uh, another question that I will have for you as we talk about this being a high-tech uh, career technical education center, um, technology changes. What, how, does, how do we think that this will uh, do in order to, to accommodate the ever-changing Technology is there enough money built into this well, to be they, able to support those yeah, that, those changes? That, that's a key part of this, and that's a key part of our current system's difficulty. Is there's not a dedicated funding source uh, for equipment upgrades, um, and so we've had a hard time keeping up. You know, okay, we'll write grants to the state. Uh, we've been successful getting some, unsuccessful getting others. Uh, the the local districts have to pay. A substantial amount of money for the programming that helps to pay for equipment upgrades but uh, career and technical education is expensive right it's one of the more expensive parts of the whole educational continuum and there's not a dedicated funding source in Kalamazoo County because we've we've not passed the millages like they have in Calhoun and Van Buren and Allegan counties, you know, just or Branch County, to name a few, right around us. Thank you for uh, for being a part of this uh, Colt cast, and um, we'll we'll see you at the ballot booth. That sounds great. I am my pleasure, and I look forward to more of these in the future. That's it for this edition of Colt Cast. We'd love to hear what you think. You can share your feedback with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You'll find us at Comstock PS. You can also let us know what you think on our website. Just go to comstockps.org slash news slash coldcast. You can now find our podcast on iTunes. Search for Comstock Public Schools and then subscribe. Where else do you subscribe to podcasts? Let us know and we'll be sure to get this podcast listed on that site too. I'm Jason Hall and I'll be back soon with another installment of Coldcast. Coldcast.